I'm Tavis Smiley. That's Donnie Hathaway. And it ain't Christmas for me until I hear that particular track. Uh, Kevin Merida is in the studio now, executive editor of the LA Times. We'll introduce him properly in just a second. But he and I were just talking uh, about this song. He said, man, I love this song. And I was telling Kevin the story of this song and how it came to be. Uh, some of you who listen every year uh, around this time have heard this story. For those who haven't heard it, here's the short version. And I'm only telling it because every year I have as a guest on this program, it's a regular thing for me, Kevin, the songwriter, let it ride, Miles, the songwriter of this track, this iconic track. Her name is Nadine McKenna. Uh, and sadly, um, she had a health challenge uh, weeks ago uh, while here in L.A. visiting her son. Uh, and I literally just went to the hospital the other day to visit with her. And we had a great time. Uh, she's recovering. She's recovering. But uh, she got a road, uh, got quite the road in front of her. Uh, and uh, I only say that because she comes here every year to tell the story of how she wrote this song. It is the quintessential black celebratory anthem of any holiday season. We, of course, there's Lift Every Voice and Sing. But yeah. you think Lift Every Voice and Sing and this Christmas for anthems, they don't get much bigger than that, right? Yeah. Uh, and so Nadine McKenna was working in the post office in the city of Chicago, wanted to be a songwriter, was in fact a songwriter, wrote this song, tried to get it to Curtis Mayfield, didn't have the connection to get it to Curtis Mayfield, but somebody at the post office, you know Negro, somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew Donny Hathaway, who was just breaking out with his first big hit, The Ghetto. Yeah. And they got the song to Donny Hathaway, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. You love that story. That's a that's a that's a great story, and that's a follow your dream story. Exactly. And for all these years, everybody named Mama has covered it. But it all started with a sister, with two boys, single mom, working in the post office on the south side of Chicago. Love that story. Yeah, man. And so that's how that's how. All right, turn it up, Miles. Let, let it ride, and we'll finish it. This is, why, this is why I love Kevin Merida. That there aren't too many brothers <laughs> running major media outlets that you can rock this Christmas with in a studio. <laughs> and they bobbing their head and bouncing their feet, <laughs> patting their feet. Uh, such, such is, uh, such is uh, the story of what makes Kevin Merida such a unique personality in the world of media today. Uh, he is the executive editor of the Los Angeles Times. And I am honored to have this rare conversation with him. Newspapers and media are in the blood of Kevin Merida, from the Dallas Morning News to the Washington Post, where I first met him decades ago, yeah. to ESPN, now the Los Angeles Times. When it comes to black folk running major news outlets, Kevin Merida is as big as they come, and I am honored and humbled to have him live in studio for the hour. Kevin Merida, there's your formal welcome, my friend. Good to see you. No, I appreciate it, Tavis, and uh, yeah, we, we, we go back a long way. And, we do. And, and certainly remember, like, conversation tom joined the morning show oh yeah way back <laughs> way back but uh that's great as we say around here uh we're rooting for everybody black uh and when 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 the when the when the word came uh and i didn't see this coming and nobody did when i when the, when the word came uh, that you were going to be uh the executive editor of the los angeles times i just i froze i, I stopped i remember exactly where i was and i heard the news i froze for a moment 
And before I knew it, tears just started running down my face. I've never told you this story. Tears wow. started running down my face, man, because I've lived in this city for most of my life. Uh, and to have a brother um, of your stature running the Los Angeles Times uh, is a really, really big deal. But I, I think I got emotional because I've known you for so long. Uh, and again, we're rooting for I'm rooting for everybody black. And just to see your friends elevate. To see your, I've I've always been that way. I've never been a hater. I mean, when my friends do well, I'm I'm the number one cheerleader, man. And so I just love the idea that they uh, 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 were wise enough to choose you to run this to run this uh, establishment. So all that said, um, then after I stopped crying, I asked myself, why would this Negro want to run? <laughs> <laughs> Any newspaper anywhere in America right now. And so let's start our conversation there. Given the state of this business, I'm doing the radio thing and this ain't easy. But why would any black man who wants to succeed choose to run a newspaper in America right now, Kevin Mayer? Yeah. Well, look, um, it's a a long story. It's it's interesting you said that that story, um, I'm... you know, I'm humbled by just that story you mm-hmm. told, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have a similar story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at the Washington Post, that's that's my hometown, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's obviously people know it's a great national paper, but it's my hometown paper. And mm-hmm. when I was named managing editor of the, of the Washington Post and I was the first African-American managing editor, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was great. Um, but I was doing my work and I'm – you know, I'm I'm busy with stories and there were crises, and I'm not really processing it like you would process that mm-hmm. uh, achievement and t- until I got home. I'm looking through messages, and I got this note. Uh, Simeon Booker, the late Simeon oh, Booker, was the Lord, first yes. first black reporter at the Washington Post, mm-hmm. and obviously had a legendary career at Jet and other places. Won, won, the, won, Till, won the Pulitzer. Yeah, covered it covered Emmett Till trial and yes, and all these things, and it sent me this note about how proud he was and, yeah. and some of the struggles. And I was driving home yeah. um, after I had read that, and I tears came down to my yeah. eyes. And I just, it was the first time I, like, processed what it meant to other people yeah. because I was just doing my work, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I think we all have some of that, like, when we see others succeed yeah. um, and break through. We certainly have too many first still. Like, we yeah. shouldn't be in the first business at this point in That's 2023. True. but. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, we still are, and and every time you see that achievement, um, you know, you you think about like, wow, that that that's great for somebody else. Um, you know, newspapers. I grew hold, up. Hold that thought. Hold that. Okay. Let me do this. You know, how radio works. Yes. Uh, when we come forward, I'll let you tell the story about newspapers. And and a, and a quick footnote, I want to share about Simeon Booker. Um, you're listening to Kevin Merida, executive editor of the L.A. Times, on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Ranked number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Made fresh daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley in conversation with Kevin Merida, who is the executive editor of the Los Angeles Times. A rare opportunity uh, to talk to him for the hour. And I'm delighted that he made his way down to our studio for, for this conversation. So, uh, Simeon Booker, and then get to your story about newspapers. I was once on Capitol Hill. Simeon's such a great photographer, to your point, iconic photographer. Uh, and I was on Capitol Hill one day, and he uh, saw me, walked over, and introduced himself. Uh, and uh, I was just shocked that it was him. And I said, take a picture of me. I want a picture of me taken by Simeon Booker. 
and he took it, and I have it to this day. That's great, man. Like said, he just laughed. I said, "Take a picture of me, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want, I want a picture of me taken by you in my catalog." Yeah. So, uh, in my so anyway, it was an amazing story. But I, I was honored to meet him. I only met him that one time, though. Wow. Just that one time. But to know that uh, to hear your story, I didn't sending you a note. Yeah. Uh, that, that that was uh, was powerful to hear. All right. So my question was, <laughs> why? Any brother who <laughs> wants to succeed at what he does, <laughs> would, and all, I, all I've ever known from you is success. Why, why, why run a newspaper now, Kevin yeah. Meredith? Well, look, newspapers have a storied history. I mean, there there was a time when newspapers were the the primary, you know, vehicle for getting news. That and and network television, mm-hmm. you know, big news stories and local television. I I think obviously the ecosystem. Of media is it's grown and broadened and widened, but newspapers are still very important. You know, some of the some of the greatest journalism done are done by newspapers, and 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 we also those have been those of us who have been in newspaper business for a long time. You know, really, you know, fighting to save it, save our craft. Uh, uh, journalism is here to stay because I think journalism has been attacked and bullied and threatened and and it's still here you know the la times has been here 140 years as a storied tradition um hey we won uh two pulitzers uh last year Mm -hmm. you know this year um and so we're still doing this great work but the economic model of newspapers is what's been difficult Mm -hmm. to 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 sort out and and you've got to fight to to change it, you know. You and you you've got to experiment. We're in, we're in a digital era where um, if we're going to survive, we have to transform newspapers and and make them exciting to a new generation who didn't grow up reading newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I got in journalism. I I grew up reading newspapers. I grew up reading the sports page. The late great Shirley Povich, you know, mm-hmm. was my introduction to it. I delivered papers uh, as a kid and. And so I had that experience, you know, watching my dad, mom read the paper. Um, but a lot of kids have grown up, they don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's kind of a relic to them. And we've got to tell them it's, it's, it's not a relic. It's, it's vibrant and necessary uh, and, and, and irresistible. And we've got to create We've got to create that for people, um, mm-hmm. which we're trying to do here at the LA Times. Yeah, um, I want I want to I want to challenge you on something you said a moment ago, and that is this notion that journalism is here to stay. I want to believe that you're right about that. That journalism is here to stay. Um, I'm convinced that that uh, corporate media is here to stay. <laughs> I'm not so sure uh, that I've that, that I've that I buy into your 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 notion and your narrative that journalism is here to stay in part for all the reasons you already sort of laid out that it's been so attacked viciously um, not just by Donald Trump but by, by all but also on all sorts of other fronts so convince me d- disabuse me of the notion that journalism ain't here to stay well well who's going to go out and do do the work and and reveal what hasn't been revealed and tell the stories i mean mm-hmm. that's everything from you know, hey today great piece today about the exploitation of day laborers mm-hmm. by Brittany Mejia, you know, who's one of our you know, really tremendous reporters. You know, somebody has to go out and do the reporting and show what is what is going on. You know, as mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye said, like, what, what's going on? Yeah. You, you got to somebody, people have to go out there and, and do that reporting. Got to uh, dig up public records, uh, you know, challenge, you know, authorities that won't give information willingly 
through the courts, knock on doors, mm-hmm. find out what people won't let you know. Um, but also, I, I think journalism is uh, new products and new ways of reaching people. So journalism is, is tremendous investigative reporting and, and accountability reporting of the kind that we did with the, the, the city hall, the leaked audio tape mm-hmm. uh, that ended up causing the resignations of, of, of members of, of the city council and, and, and others. But it's also um, Delos, mm-hmm. you know, which is a new platform, a new product that we have created, a multimedia product aimed at, you know, an English-speaking Latino population, new, a new population. It's, it's it's vibrant. It's got its own site. It's it's visually exciting. Uh, you know, we go out into the neighborhoods and and do community events. That's journalism too. You mm-hmm. know, in in this in this era. And so, I don't think journalism can be stopped. Um, only we can stop it. I, I think we have to figure out the economic model. But mm-hmm. um, and I I grant you this. It's it's a crisis for us in in this country. I think something like I saw a study where two newspapers a day, on average, uh, I mean two newspapers a week are are folding. And, We're not going and, under you. And local local news is so important. Um, and so if you're to, if you're in Los Angeles and you're in this area, man, you need the L.A. Times. If the L.A. Times wasn't here, that that would be one of the biggest tragedies that that we that we know because there would be so much that you wouldn't know and and there would be so many places that mm-hmm. weren't held accountable uh if you didn't have a los angeles times um you we're, we're heard across the country and you have worked across the country uh, as i mentioned dallas morning news washington post la times um espn we'll talk about later uh, but what what what's your takeaway you've been this you've been in this game a long time what's your takeaway vis-a-vis or regarding the way that media covers communities of color. What's your indictment? I assume you have an indictment. I hope you well, do. Well, I th- this is what I say. I think we have not been you know, historically great, right? Like and and some of that has been the fact that we didn't have people to look like us mm-hmm. and and I mentioned Brittany Mejia, look like Brittany Mejia and look like Teresa Watanabe and 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 others we we haven't been as diverse and that has hurt us and people had to break down the gates and, and a lot of people who came before us uh, did that. And, mm-hmm. and I, and so some of it, I, I feel an obligation by all the work that people did before us to get us to this point. It's, it's significantly better than it's ever been. Uh, it's, I would not say, Hey, in every community, in every place, there's still too many, communities of color where you go in and no one's ever seen a journalist, mm-hmm. you know, never seen one of, of any kind come in there uh, to, to tell stories. And so we, we have to do better than that. And, that. and that's the argument for journalism, the people who will go into places mm-hmm. and tell the stories. I mean, we, we, we sometimes have been in this digital age where we, we have all of the tools, which are great. We can, we can find people easily, uh, we can sit at our desk and track people down. We got records everywhere we can check, and uh, we even get to this point now where people sometimes send texts to get people to get quotes back. Mm-hmm. But we've got to um, really emphasize the need to go out, see things, uh, observe, 
talk to people and and discover the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not only be at our our cubicles and in our newsrooms and and map out what we think the story is, but go out and discover stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we got to do that in greater abundance to to really truly tell. Uh, everybody's story. Yep. When you mentioned you mentioned a paper like the Washington Post, where you were the first African American to be the managing editor, um, all sorts of great stories come to mind about the impact that that paper has had in this country. I don't need to tell this very wise audience all that the Washington Post has broke, all the stories they've broken, all the all the things that they have done uh, from Watergate on down. We all know what the Washington Post has done. Over over many many decades, I guess the question I want to ask is whether or not you think that the pen, the pen, and nowadays everybody's on computer, but you get my you take my metaphor here, yeah. whether or not the pen is still pregnant with that kind of power. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think I think writing is. I sometimes say, writing is is a skill that's like shooting. I I I play a lot of basketball mm-hmm. growing up. Don't don't play as much now. Uh, you ain't got but, time. <laughs> yeah, but 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 and got some nagging injuries too. There you go, that too. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I say that I used to say, if you can shoot, you can play this game forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may not be as athletic as you once were, or movers, but if you can shoot, mm-hmm. you can get on the basketball court and play that game forever. And I say the thing about writing in our craft: if you can write, that's a transferable skill in every era of of journalism. Mm-hmm. Because I don't care if you're you're doing podcasts or, you know, video work or making documentaries. Writing is a skill that 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 helps you. So to me, writing is at the heart of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think you always will have a place. So um, I love all the other forms. You know, we've got visual forensics, visual investigations, mm-hmm. A uh, big fan of photography and, and illustrations and all the things we can do, animation. But but the ability to write will take you into every place you need to be. Mm-hmm. And and I think capturing stories through the written word is still a very important part of our profession. One of the reasons I, I offered uh, uh, some pushback earlier when you said that you, you believe that journalism is here to stay. And I said, I hope you're right about that. I want you to be right about that. Uh, one, of the reasons, one of the reasons I push back on that, uh, Kevin, is because I'm concerned about the condition of truth in our society writ large. And we look to journalists, we look for journalists to do what? Tell us the truth. So this is a broad question, somewhat philosophical, take it the way you want to take it. But to your mind, what is, in this moment in late modernity, the condition of truth in our society? Yeah. Well, look, we, we've got a big got a big issue there mm-hmm. and that's one of been been one of the um, the downsides of the of the of the technological revolution the digital revolution is that um, people can manipulate truth mm-hmm. uh, you know misinformation and disinformation uh, is a big problem in our society and and you do worry about you know kids growing up and and coming into their own and what they're learning and how they're learning and the ability to discern what is true or not. And mm-hmm. it's, it's become increasingly difficult uh, for that to happen. Um, I think a lot of people are attacking that problem. I think it's, you know, there've been some, some big efforts, places like the Aspen Institute mm-hmm. and Hey, even, even 
former President Barack Obama has taken that on as a as a as a subject. Uh, we we have projects like the News Literacy Project, which is uh, which is run founded by a, a former LA Times journalist uh that's gone into schools and to really teach literacy news literacy um i think we've got to do that at at greater you know be more even more sophisticated and and scale up on on news literacy but we've also got to develop technology to to determine what is true and not Mm -hmm. which we can do and i i think it is a big a big issue um so that's that's in part attacking that is also part of protecting in advancing journalism, you know, because I think, I think journalism is, is different than, hey, talking about things, being on X, mm-hmm. you know, screaming at other people with, mm-hmm. with 25 followers, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and no identity to know who they are. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's what I always say. People who are really journalists go out and do the hard work, you know, do, do the most difficult reporting because the population of serious journalists have been shrinking we need to grow that population because yeah. we need more people out doing the most difficult reporting and work you've said a few things now i want to interrogate when we come forward let me just tell you where i want to go uh, as we continue this dialogue with the executive editor the brother executive editor of the la times kevin Merida. um in no particular order um you talk about news literacy when we come forward i want to talk about the literacy or lack thereof of everyday people uh, the question may not be <laughs> whether or not journalism is going to survive. The question may be, are people going to want to continue reading? I'm concerned about the fact that so many of us, we just got a dumb, this is just me, you ain't got to say this, Kevin. <laughs> we have a dumbed down demos. It's just a fact. We have a dumbed down demos that Negroes, people, everyday people in America just don't want to read. And I got a problem with that. I want to talk about reading. Uh, that's the other side of journalism. Mm-hmm. You can write it, but if don't nobody read it, we got a problem here, right? Uh, we'll talk about that. I want to talk about AI and the impact it's going to have on 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 this business. Uh, I don't want to make you too uncomfortable. I want to talk about billionaire owners. You mentioned X, but all these billionaires buying all these papers and outlets, including the LA Times. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that and a great deal more. I am honored to have Kevin Merida, the executive editor of the LA Times, in studio right now on Tavis Smiling. Seeking the truth. Seeking the truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. Easy. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Our guest is Kevin Merida, the executive editor of the Los Angeles Times. Uh, and I'm honored to have uh, this brother in our studio uh, in this hour. Um, I was saying before that before that break, uh, Kev, that, um, <laughs> that it's one thing for journalism uh, to survive. Uh, but for it to survive, it needs people to read it. Hmm. Uh, and I, I am I am getting more and more disturbed every day um, by people I work with and people I see and people I know and people I, I'm just around who just don't value reading. They just they, they, they don't put the time in to just read the material. Uh, and you know, not just everyday people. Let's just take it to the top. We've had presidents. I mean, Donald Trump was famous for not reading. And even George W. Bush, you know, didn't spend as much time in his briefing books as he probably should have. So, I mean, from the highest levels of, of our society down to everyday people, I'm just concerned about our um, disinterest uh, in reading. Does, yeah. that, does that make sense? Yeah, look, I, you know, I, I, love the, I love to read. And now, being on the Pulitzer board, uh, I'm thrust... A lot of books come to me because mm-hmm. we we we're, we're judging them, and it, it's it's 
it's also kind of opened up my reading habits because mm-hmm. I'm reading much more widely than I ever did. Um, but, you know, we have one of the great things is we, we have ways to even read because now we have so many mm-hmm. um, e-books and uh, Devices, you know, audio yeah, books sure. and we, we have a lot of ways to reach people through the written word, you know, audibly too. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, hopefully that uh, attracts people, um, you know, particularly when you're starting out young, you know, you usually develop a habit of reading when you're young. And I'm hoping that, you know, our schools will continue to engage kids with with ways to to think about the world that and, and books that can can captivate them, and and I think I think reading is certainly important. Um, but I think we also have to reach audiences in different ways and be mindful that there are other ways to reach people. Like we're not going to kick people off of TikTok, you know. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to. We're not going to shut down the ways that people engage. And so I think we've got to tell stories and find ways to bring the same knowledge into where the people themselves are. You know, mm-hmm. where young people are. Um, you know, wherever there's a platform that creates engagement, whether that's Reddit or Twitch or, uh, or Instagram, find ways to engage people with knowledge and, and tell stories and, you know, give links mm-hmm. so people can go back and get the history they need. And, you know, I, th- I think we have more ways to do that than ever before. Yeah. I mentioned Donald Trump a moment ago, and it's not just him. There are, there are countless others I, I can name if I had the time. Um, but but what's, what's your read on the way that the news business, news media, has come under attack from people at the highest levels of government? You know, look, it, it's, it's, it's certainly unfortunate, right, that you have – um, anybody at the level of president to attacking the, the First Amendment and, uh, you know, essentially attacking uh, those who are there to bring, you know, factual information to a public that, mm-hmm. that needs it. But, um, you know, that journalism has always been an attack. People don't like, sometimes they don't like the journalism that's produced. Mm-hmm. And so they attack it. Um, <laughs> and so, I always say we can't be in the thin skin business. I think we do have to fight for the, the the sanctity of our profession. We have to fight against any encroachment, certainly in in the law and in the courts against our uh, profession. But we we can't be thin skinned about it or afraid or re- retiring and retreating. We got to be aggressive about claiming it, our our profession, and 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 continuing to you know, to push it forward. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great when people of stature, you know, in this country would, uh, attack media, but, but I think we can't be cowered by that. Yeah. We were talking earlier about the great journalist, Simeon Booker at the top of this program. Um, what, I'm just curious, put you on the spot here. What, what's your best pitch, your best pitch for young persons of color to consider journalism as a profession these days? Look, I, I think, for one thing, it's a continuing education. Mm. You know, you can go into that profession and, and it's just to say you love sports. Sports mm-hmm. was always something that you played as a kid. Now you can go in and, and cover teams and tell stories and reflect the lives of, of, of people who 
otherwise just may be your sports heroes and, and, and tell those stories. If, if you love food, there's a place for you mm-hmm. uh, in our profession. If you love movies, uh, music, there's a place for you in this profession. You know, you love politics. You, there's a place for you in this profession. It, every subject that may fascinate you, may interest you, um, you can go cover it and become an expert in that area. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the process, learn, because I say that, you know, the education I've received in journalism, I would not have been able to afford. I couldn't mm-hmm. have paid for that education. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of the places I've been, the people I've sat down with and gotten to meet and speak of it, yeah, the, in one level that's journalism and those are stories, but it's also just I'm learning, you know. And yeah. and if if we can continue to kind of open our mind and 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 see everybody, then that's that's a gift to you, you know, for your life. Mm-hmm. And and so it's it's a great profession. It's not static. Mm-hmm. And almost any kind of thing that you would like to do, including like, hey, I want to. I want to make films. I want to do this. Well, actually, we do that now in journalism. We have documentaries. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we have short form video. So, there's really nothing you can't do yeah. of interest. I love that answer. Oh, it's a great answer. Uh, it's it's continuing education. I just said earlier today on this program. I said all the time that every day I walk out of the studio, I leave out smarter than I came in. So for me, the joy of doing what I do every day is continuing education. I'm learning stuff every single yeah. day. There's nothing that quite excites me like being able to learn something new every day. I, I'm I'm still uh, fascinated by that, even all all these years later. Um, how is AI, uh, since it's impacting everything else in the world, obviously, how is it going to impact the news business in the years to come? Well, I, I think we're we're gonna f- figure it out. Yeah. You know, I think um, you know we can't retreat from technology. I mean, <clears throat> our profession was among the slowest to adapt to to the internet and the advantages of uh, of of digital platforms. And and now I think with with AI, you know, I think we're looking at we have a cross company committee that's that's looking at it and seeing what applications that we that might be make sense for us and you know you you could certainly see some things that that AI could help with just you know hey organizing our archive for mm-hmm. instance um you know um taking look documents vast amounts of documents that that reporters have to do and annotate them quickly you know so they can get a a, a quicker look at them mm-hmm. um you know, there there are lots of applications. I don't think that AI is going to replace the the working journalist. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that goes in and has to goes out and reports and the the nuance and sophistication. You know, it's not going to replace that core thing that we do. Um, you know, that human beings do. But but anything that enhances our ability uh, to be better is is going to be probably you know, technology has its benefits, and you you also always need guardrails on, on technology yeah. and, and rules and and regulations. Kevin Meredith is executive editor of the Los Angeles Times. He's our guest in studio right now, and we're glad about it. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Sounds different. Sounds different. 
This is Tavis Smiley. This is Tavis Smiley in conversation with the executive editor of the Los Angeles Times, Kevin Meritor, who uh, is uh, in studio with us right now. Uh, I was I was saying to, to, to Kevin um, during one of the breaks uh, that um, some time ago uh, you were atop my prayer list. Uh, <laughs> Uh, primarily because I saw the story that, I need that. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we all need a little prayer, I guess. But I prayed for you that day because I saw uh, the story of all the layoffs um, that uh, you had to announce uh, and enact at the Los Angeles Times. And to be sure, you ain't the only one doing that. Um, you know, the L.A. Times didn't invent layoffs, somebody once said. So all kinds of papers and other entities, and I've had to do that in my business. But there, there's, there's nothing, I think, that weighs heavier on the heart um, when, than when you have to lay people off. Um, how, did you, uh, how did you navigate through that? Yeah, yeah it was very difficult, you yeah. know. And, um, yeah, you, people lose their, their jobs. You, they have understandable anger mm-hmm. and pain. Um, you know, with some, they're not expecting it. You know, you're, you're, you're working so... And it's just hard to figure out, too, you know, um, of, of how to do it even. And so, um, yeah, you, you you carry that with you um, because, you know, we're all human. And and so you you try to do the best you can. I think I, I think the thing with leadership is that you, you have to be willing to do the difficult things, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of the job. Um, you know, you, you don't relish like when we had those layoffs, it was not uh, long before we were out in the courtyard in El Segundo where our building uh, on the patio celebrating two Pulitzer Prizes and everybody, you know, and, mm-hmm. and toasting, clicking glasses of champagne and had a nice event that evening on a rooftop. And and it's great to have those celebratory moments. You feel great and you feel like your work matters and and you're getting recognized. And, and then when things like this happened and prolonged what happened during the layoffs, the layoffs themselves and mm-hmm. the aftermath, you know, you, you have to just, you know, try to try to continue to lead in difficult times. And I think that's part of the job of, of, of leadership. And, and so, um, you know, it wasn't pleasant by any means, yeah. needless to say, but, but, uh, you know, it's great when you have, you know, sometimes, you know, there's so much that goes into work. You put a lot of hours into mm-hmm. it, but, you know, you realize that's not your entire life, right? Yeah. And it's not the sum of who you are, right? We all have multiple identities, and and we came into this world. We weren't born journalists. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, my wife is great with that because she's spiritual, mm-hmm. and she really has a high plane about spirituality. So she, she was really excellent during that time. You just realize, you know, you can be with your family, and you can be, um, you can understand that, this doesn't define you, yeah. you know. And your wife Donna is an amazing writer in her own right. Yeah, she is. Pretty she's, amazing yeah, writer herself. Self as you say that. Yeah, I used, I used to read her stuff all the time in the yeah. post when she when she was doing it regularly. And she does what she wants to now, but I love Donna's stuff. Uh, our remaining moments with Kevin Meredith when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. It's a strange question to ask Kevin Merida because he works at a paper that has a billionaire owner. Uh, so I'm not talking about him. I'm just talking about largely 
um, how we should read that all these billionaires want to own media properties, yeah. whether it's Elon Musk at X or Jeff Bezos at your former paper, The Washington Post, yeah, or yeah. a bunch of Perfect. others I should name. What's that about? Well, look, uh, uh, first of all, all billionaires are not created equal. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. But, Fair but enough. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's good when when people of, of means have that sense of civic responsibility, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. and and wanting to do something to, you know, further that, you know, in society and and support journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos, I got a chance to work with him. I was there when he took over, and, and certainly Patrick Soon-Shone and his family um, purchasing the L.A. Times and, you know, five years and the commitment to make sure that this place survives, you know, mm-hmm. and um, – it's important any time people are doing it because they're not doing it because here this is this is some new gold rush adventure and we're going to make make whole lots of money. It's mm-hmm. you know you start with the understanding it's a very challenging business model. It's mm-hmm. you know a newspaper is not a 21st century business, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are not generally saying I'm going to start a newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's 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 really kind of an inapt noun for now. But um, I I just say I applaud them. I think. The, the people who've gone in and either started new things or, or taken big institutions that might have been struggling and and lift them up, they they've uh, you know they should get our applause. Yeah, um, I got two minutes left here. Um, I could have started our conversation here, but it's a great place to close. I think when you were a kid running around delivering newspapers, what 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 was what was your dream? What 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 did you what did you hope or believe or want your life to become? With, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine it was executive editor of the Los Angeles <laughs> no. Times. So what, what, what were your dreams as a kid? You know, like like a lot of kids, I, mm. I probably harbored that fantasy of, of playing professional sports. You mm-hmm. know, when I was really, really young, it was football, and then it became basketball. And, you know, you, you realize quickly, like, hey, I, you know, I wasn't I 6'5". <laughs> you know, you realize quickly that that's a very hard dream and mm-hmm. you know there's a time when even fashion designer i love fashion but mm-hmm. i but i couldn't draw mm-hmm. so that you know kind of went out the way and but when i started reading sports and started reading and seeing the newspaper i started thinking about that and it was a teacher that got me thinking about that in sixth mm-hmm. grade you know mr wilson oh, yeah. you know he the one <laughs> he's the one that started saying like look you know this might be could be a career and began to think about it and then it was enhanced by a high school teacher named linda warner who's still around i still see mm. uh who pushed me into like writing contest mm. and it made me work on the student newspaper at school even though mm. i had to stay after school and we were getting busted at the time i had to it i would get home at seven o'clock yeah. so you, you people who believe in you because mm. we all need somebody to believe in us, right? right. Like, Absolutely. And, and, and help us no. see our dreams. Sometimes you don't even, you can't even see your dreams. That's right. No, I, I, the more that that story for me, uh, and we just, I was just talking to Randy Weingarten, the president of American Federation, American Federation of Teachers yesterday. Uh, teachers matter, man. Oh my goodness. Teacher, teachers matter. And the fact that you are at this age and you're still calling out their names, yeah. I can call Mrs. Vera Graft, <laughs> Mr. Jackson in fifth grade, yeah. Mr. Beal, uh, in, in 12th grade, teachers make a difference oh in our goodness. lives, man. And none of us are where we are. They may be the most underrated, maybe underrated no profession. No question about it. Most underrated and underpaid. <laughs> uh, and those two things go together in America. Yeah. Underrated, oftentimes underpaid. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm delighted to have had you come here. Um, I believe that um, that this program is at its best when we are 
uh, as black media, asking questions that others don't ask, raising issues that others don't raise, addressing topics others want to avoid, and profiling others who deserve and have earned the right to be profiled. And I celebrate any brother or sister who has risen to the level that Kevin Merida has risen to uh, being the executive editor of the Los Angeles Times. That is a big deal. And Kevin, I appreciate you. Hey, I appreciate you, Tavis, and you've been out here a long time doing this, and, and, you know, respect to you. Likewise, man, likewise. That's our program for today. Three hours, poof, gone just like that. Back here tomorrow to do it all over again. Until then, thanks for tuning uh, tuning in to uh, to Tavis Smiley. Uh, I'm grateful for you. And as always, keep the faith.